and welcome to No Stupid Answers episode 16, the show with the most qualified people discussing and answering the most interesting questions from Reddit. I'm Colton Wallace, joined by Queen of Podcasting, Loria Sava. Hey all. PhD, Dr. Jessica Azarians. Hey there. And our resident linguist, Josh Lieto. Hey guys, Josh coming in. How's it going? So happy to be here and part of this young and cool and hip scene. Uh, Gen Z was here last week, actually. Um, All right. So happy to come in on the coattails of others. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have a question for you guys this week. Um, Have you ever lost your pants in your own house? So I have a pair of pants and a week ago I was looking for the specific pair of pants and I couldn't find it. And I was was in a rush to get somewhere. So I just wore a different pair of pants. Um, Then yesterday... I was trying to find the same pair of pants again. I spent like 20 minutes walking around trying to find these pants. And I've come to the conclusion that I've lost my pants in my own house. Um, this is a more severe problem than losing your socks like in the dryer. Yeah. like I, I, I've lost socks before. I don't think I've ever just lost a whole pair of pants in my own house. Yeah. It's where, the, where were they at? Did you find probably, them? No, I haven't found them. Oh, so they're still lost right now. Yeah, and our cat has been doing this thing lately where she she drags clothes around. It's mm. typically like shirts or socks. <laughs> no, she'll take blankets too. She's a monster. She'll I guess like, she has take, taken blankets. Yeah, like entire she, blankets. Does she put them in the same spot? Does she just literally no. pick them She's, up and just leave them? She likes she forgets about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. She goes so far and is like, "Oh, I literally don't even know what I was just doing." Right. Yeah, and yeah. then they are randomly dropped in places. And this week we found a lot of um, like hats and mittens from one little like hat and mitten thing that we keep in one of our closets. She got in there, and so like there's just hats and mittens strewn across the floor in different rooms of the house because she just looted the whole thing. It was wow, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> yeah. So my theory now is that she took the pants at some point, and she's hidden them from me. So we first noticed this happening with the clothing because we have um, two drawers in our bed and um, I kept finding these t-shirts all in random places in the house and like she has been pulling them out of the, the drawer by getting underneath the bed and then into the drawer. And so recently we just opened the drawers and the drawers are almost empty and all the clothes are like in like a pile under the bed. (laughs) So she's got a little cat nest of our pajamas. So like, I think your pants have got to be in there. We're going to have to like take the bed apart. Yeah. That's crazy. I haven't lost pants. I don't think I've definitely temporarily misplaced them. Um, But I have lost a lot of other random clothes. Like, I just recently bought a shirt. It's just a simple striped shirt. Haven't found it since I wore it once. (laughs) I have no idea. I cleaned out the entire closet. Our apartment's not very big. I have no clue where it went. So I have lost my fair share of clothes um, in my house. And... A lot of times they don't turn up. I I genuinely don't know what I did with them. <laughs> That's so bizarre. My secret is to just have one pair of pants so you can't lose them. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. I have um I've I do have a problem of losing clothes and it is possible to lose them no matter how small your house gets. Uh 
And <laughs> I don't know the journeys that these articles of fabric take, but I'm glad to be part of them. <laughs> did you guys, did your parents ever throw away any of your clothes when you were growing up? Yes, they. my parents threw in my floor hockey jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it was red. Red's my favorite color. And our, our, it was red. It was just a, a shirt that just said like my middle school on it and then my name. And I can't even remember what my number was, but I was like addicted to floor hockey when I was in middle school. And um, they threw that away. And Oh my gosh, did you cry? I think they threw it away because I had gotten too fat for it. But it, it was so it was kind of a double. I was like upset. I was like, this is I was good. I was like, I'm going to hold on to the shirt forever. And then it was just gone one day. And oh, I was like, you dang. can't you're, you can't even wear that anymore. Oh, double burn. Yeah. I had some clothes growing up that I think were like becoming like worn out. But I just liked them so much. I kept them and I kept wearing them. And I think my mom sneakily threw some of those out. <laughs> yeah, because they disappeared. I throw that stuff away for Josh. <laughs> that seniors 2010 sweatshirt. It was a sweatshirt that. that he didn't from a school he didn't even go to a, a graduation year. He was never part of, and he wore it everywhere. And it's still, it's still in my parents' house. <laughs> I tried to hide it for as long as possible. Next time we are there, we need to burn it. It's time to <laughs> we need to have like a burning of all these old clothes. I used to wear that way too much. This is called a capsule wardrobe. You just gotta yes. have a buzzword for it. Capsule wardrobe. That sounds so cool. He is a capsule boy. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, Josh, Josh went and um, was in Indonesia for a bit. He took one bag, and we filled it with as many clothes as he could. He came back when the at the start of the pandemic and got stuck in California. That was all, only clothes he had for many, <laughs> many, many months. So well. Josh is very good at using what he has. All right. Uh, thank you, me, for the question. <laughs> um, our next question comes in from user Blakeosaurus0128. And the question is, what's your favorite dinosaur? Um, 26 female here and obsessed with dinosaurs. I recently had a dinosaur-themed wedding with two surprise dinosaur guests, which were blow-up costumes, <laughs> dressed up like a bride and groom. That's Would love to awesome. hear your favorite dinosaur and why. Mine is the Stegosaurus. I've always thought their plates and spikes were really cool and unique. Um, so I'll open the floor here. Um, who wants to go first with their favorite dinosaur? Well, obviously I want my dinosaur to go at the end, but I guess I'll just say it now because it, I just learned it's not a real dinosaur. But what? obviously my favorite dinosaur is the pterosaur Quetzalcoatlus. It's the biggest uh, pterosaur that ever flew. It is a huge, wow. but it's technically not a dinosaur. Uh, it is a, it is a, because dinosaurs are from they, their their common ancestor is from the. I can't remember, but point is, is that this thing is not a dinosaur, but it lived with dinosaurs when dinosaurs <clears throat> were living, and it's it was it was this guys. This thing is just huge. Have you guys ever heard of this thing? Uh, I've heard no. of pterodactyls or pterosaurs before, yes. but I don't. Well, Quetzalcoatl is a Nahuatl name. It's from the the, the Nahuas, of course, the language of the Aztecs, and uh. it was their name for their one of their gods. He was basically a feathered serpent, and it literally means feather snake um, in uh, in Nahuatl. But oh, yeah, cool. this is the biggest. 
big, I think this is the biggest thing that ever flew on the earth and that we know wow. of. It had uh, an estimated wingspan of at least 18 feet. So oh, it was, <laughs> it was huge. Um, huh. and, uh, yeah, I love that one. I've also always loved Dimetrodon, which is the one that has the big sail on the back. But mm-hmm. of course, that's also not really a dinosaur. It's older Why? than dinosaurs. I'm, yeah, I'm surprised it's these not. aren't dinosaurs. You could have tricked me. <laughs> dinosaurs are all the descendants of the ancestors of Saurischia, the, or, the order Saurischia, and there's another one. But like the pterosaurs are not dinosaurs. They're a dip, they're, they, they're older than that. And same with like Dimetrodon and these other creatures. Um, so those are my favorite dinosaur, non-dinosaurs. All right. We'll accept it as creatures that lived with the dinosaurs. Cause I don't even know if mine's a dinosaur now. Well, you, I don't know what got? it, I got a uh, Parasarlophus, Parasarlophus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the, what, which one is that? That's the one that has. Parasaroph- Parasarophilus. That's yes. how you say it. Yes, it, it can be 11 meters tall, well, coming in at a weight of 3,500 kilograms. It's a herbivore, and the special feature of this dinosaur is its cranial crest. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. It's kind of a, it's a duckbill, basically. Yeah, yeah, and, I think, I don't know, I just think they look kind of cool. And yeah. also, what really made me like these dinosaurs is um, they ha- they have like this this giant thing on the top of their head, the cranial mm-hmm. crest. The crest, and. Yeah. Uh, so James Hobson in 1975 hypothesized that the crests of these types of dinosaurs were um, visual display structures and doubled as resonating chambers for vocal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this other guy, David Weishample, looked into the internal anatomy of it, the skull, mm-hmm. and um, found that the crest of the Parasaurolophilus truly was capable of acting as a resonating chamber for sound. And yeah. it was very similar to an existing woodwind instrument called the crumb horn. And he proposed that these dinosaurs would communicate over long distances through low frequency sounds. Um, and then later on, uh, David Evans and colleagues did a study and they found that the ears were also suited to detecting low frequency sounds. And you can find like what these sounds are projected to sound like. Um, so I, I'll link the videos to those, um, but they sound a bit ominous and it's like a loud horn. So I just think it's so cool that like, that's the, the, the wild horn sounds they made um, is why the Parasaurolophilus is my favorite dinosaur. Such a great dinosaur, Colton, and such a great point you make because a common misconception is that a lot of dinosaurs roared, and we don't, we'll never know for sure. But uh, there's really good evidence that they, most dinosaurs, did not have that kind. They didn't roar; they breathed loudly, but they didn't mm-hmm. actually roar. But Parasaurolophus is one of those dinosaurs where there's really good evidence that um, its anatomy produced right, verbal sounds. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, a, a lot of that information I found in a Smithsonian Magazine article, which I'll also link, um, but but definitely check out the sounds of it. They're really cool. Yeah, I want to 3D print one of those. <laughs> They're pretty big. <laughs> That's what they like. do in, in Jurassic Park 3. Do you guys saw Jurassic Park 3? No. Like they, Jurassic Park 3 or Jurassic World 3? No, Jurassic Park 3, I okay, think. It's so like the old 3. Yeah. Yeah. They they It's like the... It's like, it's so goofy. It's not 3D printing. They call it something else. It's like they're like rapid prototyping, 
but it's exactly okay. 3D printing. But they 3D yeah. print a Velociraptor's resonating chamber, and then they like speak to the Velociraptors in the movie, which is bullshit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a similar cool thing. I have so no scientific reason behind my dinosaurs, but I like the basics, the Brachiosaurus and the Triceratops, most likely because they are probably the one of the or both of them are most commonly found in little kids things. Like I remember yeah. Triceratops yeah. was uh, Sarah in The Land Before Time. And right. my best friend was Sarah also, and so she always talked about it. Um, and you just can't not like the long necks. I mean, they're just so fascinating. They are amazing. I, I feel like the bronchiosauruses looked awesome in the first Jurassic Park. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of what I think about those. It's that first shot where you see yeah. dinosaurs, too. It's, it's those, and it's just they're yeah. regal. They step out of the... The foliage, and it's like, whoa, dinosaurs. But maybe now they're actually feathered? Are bronchiosauruses? I don't know if it's known. Well, we, we should make, yeah, we should make a couple of clarifications. Bronchiosaurus is not a dinosaur. It is. <sighs> what? Really? It's a uh, dinosaur bronchi- adjacent. Don't well, take this no. away from me. <laughs> no, no. Let, 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 let me rephrase. Wait a it doesn't, doesn't sound exactly like that. It's, you're, it's what I mean by this is that. That dinosaur that was called Bronchiosaurus, it w- it turned out to not be a dinosaur. It was just a bunch of jumbled bones. But there were, but w- what the real one is called is Brachiosaurus now, oh, and that's a new one. So, and they're and they're sauropods, right? So they're true dinosaurs. Sauropods are basically the long necks, right? Um, so and there's all there were all kinds of them, but yeah, they're so they're so amazing. Brachiosaurus. Probably the most famous one, Brontosaurus, Apatosaurus, a lot of great ones. I'm kind of picturing in my head like the true dinosaurs, as you say, like people that study true dinosaurs kind of like give shit to the other people. Like, well, (laughs) I study real dinosaurs. Paleontologist gatekeeping. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I I definitely see a lot of that, but also goes the other way where archaeologists are. Perennially, perennially annoyed by uh, people who think that archaeology is about dinosaurs because it's not. <laughs> um, and conversely, paleontologists are paleontologists studies study all forms of ancient life. So dinosaurs are a very specific fraction. So it's one of these things where all people who study dinosaurs are paleontologists, but not all paleontologists study dinosaurs. You could just like study, you know, think about being that paleontologist who's like, I wrote, I wrote my dissertation on the giant North American sloth and people are like, yeah, but what about these dinosaurs? Wait, there was a, there's a, there was a giant sloth. There were, there was a giant sloth. Oh, it was a sick. giant ground sloth. It was called Megatherium. <laughs> Megatherium. These things were massive and it was, um, before the end of the last ice age, the Americas were very different, and there were all these megafauna that essentially went extinct. Um, I think it was like, if I want, I want to say like by fifteen thousand years ago, these mm. megafauna were extinct. But yeah, you had like he, these massive ground sloths that would stand up on their back feet and be like twenty feet tall. Dude, you know? what? Yes, there's there's all kinds. There's there's uh, I'm trying to remember, but 
Yeah, but these are all animals studied by paleontologists. They're way more recent than dinosaurs, but yeah. also just as cool. Uh, Jessica, did you have a favorite dinosaur? Oh, yeah, I got a bunch. Um, I was really into dinosaurs as a kid. <laughs> I think, like, beyond just, like, oh, I like dinosaurs because I'm a child. But, like, um, I guess, like, one of the first ways I really got in love or fell in love with reading was reading about dinosaurs. And so I would read, like, encyclopedias about all the different dinosaurs. And I was, like, obsessed with, like learning all the facts about them and like I used to be able to like recite all these things but like um I guess like two have stuck around as my favorites the first is Velociraptor and um nice. this is I I imagine it's influenced a little bit by Jurassic Park but even before that like I just like loved the fact that Velociraptors and like this whole class of dinosaurs are supposedly really smart um and uh i used to draw them so i have these like detailed drawings of all different types of velociraptors and then i guess the other dinosaur that is my absolute favorite is um archaeopteryx and i love archaeopteryx because it is the evolutionary link between dinosaurs and modern birds um and you see this uh one famous fossil point like people evolutionary bi biologists and other scientists point to as like one of the missing links i guess in evolutionary biology and it like supports um you know uh provides evidence for evolution throughout time um and some of the fossils of archaeopteryx are just really well preserved so you see the feathers um, they're just like a small bird-like dinosaur, um, but they definitely have characteristics of both dinosaurs and birds. Um, and they're just so fascinating. Um, so that would be my other one. And then I know this isn't a dinosaur, but I absolutely love these ancient creatures. They're called ammonites. And so these are related to creatures called nautiluses. Um, they have a shell, so they're not, they're an invertebrate animal. They are not a dinosaur. Um, but the fossils of ammonites are amazing. Like they oftentimes fossilize with these minerals that make them look iridescent in color um, and have all these beautiful patterns. Um, sometimes they have opal in them um, or opaline or opal-like uh, minerals. Not, not really opal. That's a different classification. But anyways, they have these beautiful array of colors. So you slice open the um, ammonite fossils and it's just gorgeous. And I have some jewelry made out of these uh, ancient creatures, actually. It's just really, they're super common um, to find. Um, it's not like they're like a precious fossil that people are just <laughs> slicing into jewelry, but um, but they're just really fascinating creatures. And I've always loved those too. Well, it's, that's so cool, but it's, I know what you're talking about. They like those really cool looking, they have really cool like shell patterns, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're like spiral, um, little shells and yeah. And, and they're, they're absolutely gorgeous. And very like, very, I would say like, like really prehistoric, right? Like symbol of prehistory. I feel like. Yes. Yeah. So they're like marine mollusks, basically like one of the um, earliest cephalopods. So I also like octopuses and cephalopods in general are just fascinating creatures. So they're in the same group of uh, mollusks. Nice. You know, they're thought to be closely related to, um, you know, modern cephalopods, especially like the Nautilus. Um, and yeah, they're just uh, a super ancient extinct 
<laughs> cephalopod and they're super cool. Now the reason they look so cool on the inside is because when you cut it open, that's not actually like the remains of the creature, right? Right, right. That's like the, f that's so it's like whatever crazy cool minerals and geology are like happening exactly. in that area. Yes, that's really cool. So another fun fact, uh, this, your description made me think of something. Oh, yeah. And I looked it up and it is true. The Pokemon Ammonite mm -hmm. is based on Ammonite. Because I'm like, that, that sounds like an Ammonite. <laughs> did they make a sound as Pokemon? Like, what, is it, uh, what does it do with its moves? That's that's a deeper question. <laughs> what is Ammonite's sound that it makes? <laughs> yeah, it's, like it's the, a Pokemon. So the Pokemon sounds, the original Ammonite is one of the original 150 Pokemon. So they were on Game Boy. So all of those sounds are like little 8-bit blips. Um, so it's, awesome. it's not very extravagant. I see, I see. Thank you for posting that question, Blakasaurus0128. And I think we can all agree that the Parasaurophilus is the <laughs> best dinosaur. I strongly disagree with that. It is really cool, but I mean, you I would even, put, the ones you picked weren't even dinosaurs. I left. I, I mean, okay. I'll, oh, that's true. Let's come back to me now because I didn't give a real dinosaur. So I'm going to say it. My favorite dinosaur is Tyrannosaurus Rex, the king of the terrible lizards. Wow. No, what for real, Spike. But w which one would win in a fight, Spinosaurus or Tyrannosaurus? I don't know what a Spinosaurus is. Spinosaurus is a Tyrannosaurus with an alligator head and a big sail on its back. Oh. Have you pro you've probably sweet. seen it. Okay, yeah. yeah, probably. Well, the crazy thing is that, like, Tyrannosaurs, like, they're, you know, we always thought that they were these, like, huge apex predators, but, like, it turned out that they may have been, like, more so of, like, opportunistic foragers, you right. know? And Spinosaurus is crazy because, like, for the longest time, it was thought that, yeah, it was just, like, a competitor. It's just, like, a predator on the land. But some research has uh, shown that basically it's more likely that Spinosaurus actually lived in the water. So, and was, like, a waiter and was, like, in, in the, <laughs> was in the, uh, but can you imagine this, like, you know, like, like 80 foot long dinosaur with like a, you know, just like go and you, you just see like it's huge sail moving across the water. Uh -huh. So cool. So I want to take Spinosaurus, Spinosaurus, <laughs> not just Spinosaurus, Spinosaurus, Egypticus, the Egyptian Spinosaurus. That's my favorite dinosaur. That sounds pretty sweet. Bravo. Actually. I'll send you guys some clips. Oh, cool. Our next question posted on Reddit by user OttersFTW. And the question is, does anyone else find it completely bonkers that so many married couples don't share finances? No judgment. Whatever works for your relationship is obviously just fine. However, I don't understand the purpose of maintaining separate bank accounts and figuring how, out how to divvy up expenses and spending money. Aren't you building a life together? Wouldn't it make more sense for the money to go into and come out of the same pool? There are so many people on here who maintain separate accounts, and it is so strange to me. Yeah, Colton and I have talked about this quite a lot, and um, you often see people arguing about this. So, like, I feel like a third of Am I the Asshole um, posts are about married couples having issues with their finances. So it's, like, a common source of strife within relationships. But, like, um, I kind of feel like at least Colton and I are on the on the same page with uh, the user on this. Like we've shared our finances, um, you know, basically as soon as we moved in together, like bought a house together. 
because it just like made sense for us and like for us i feel like there's just been a base level of like transparency and trust um but like as i'm thinking about you know like why people might not want to do that um you know i guess i can think of scenarios where people wouldn't feel comfortable doing that like and i'm thinking about like you know if people come from different socioeconomic backgrounds like there can be you know i guess different assets coming into a marriage and maybe people want to keep that separate and there's a few other reasons i can imagine that people would want separate bank accounts um but for me like i would want to have the type of relationship with a partner where we would commingle our our funds I guess like it is easier and it all does come out of one pool for right. us. Yeah. And for example, paying bills and stuff, it's never a thought of, I have to like figure out like, Oh, who's going to pay this amount of whatever. It's just something we do and that's easier. But some people that I've known have completely different setups where it's almost like the cases where it seems odd to me is where you have two people that are married and they live in, almost what seems like two completely different financial worlds. And that's the part where it seems it would be weird to live a life together, but be living in completely different financial situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I know other people who seem to split some things. So it seems like there's different levels of it. Um, But yeah, for us, I, I, it seems easier to have it all together. Um, But also neither of us came in with a ton of, money we were both out of college and stuff so yeah and similar like um values associated with like how to spend money and right. like and like you know we don't have yeah. not one of us has like a spending problem jessica didn't marry for my money because i, <laughs> I didn't have any <laughs> that's true um what what about you guys i um, mean whoa Excuse Go me. Ahead. I'm pretty sure I'm the one that controls the money in this house. <laughs> yeah, as if. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think it's bonkers that people don't have the same account sometimes. I think that financial uh, independence is uh, can be very much overlooked. I mean, I'm just trying to say that it's just I don't see it as crazy that people just maintain their own finances right. in marriages or relationships as well if that's what works better for them. Yeah, we're kind of in a, I mean, we share all of our money. I, I, we don't really like argue about who's paying what. No, um, but like, but we don't, we don't, we didn't literally just take all of our money and just dump it into one account and say, here it all is. And that's our entire life savings. <laughs> yeah. I think where it all comes down to the line is like, how do you communicate spending? And knowing that whatever he spends is uh, impacts me and whatever I spend impacts him. And so keeping that strong line of communication is super important. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point, Laura, because I've also like seen situations where it's bad, where one person has like a huge spending problem uh-huh. and they, they, they don't have any control over their spending and it like tanks the whole marriage and they're all in debt. And it, so I, in the cases like that, like you, you see those kind of horror stories and it's like, Oh no. I think I maybe see what you guys are saying. There's kind of a, it's kind of a spectrum of a question too. On the one end, you might have people who are in, like Colton was saying, totally different financial situations. And so in that case, maybe people don't want to combine all their stuff because it could affect their credit score or something, right? Like right. 
I mean, that, that like there's a, I just think that there's a lot of considerations that go into like, what is that? What do we do with our money? How do we pool it? How do we mm-hmm. use it together? I think also it is very much steeped in control. Women weren't allowed to have bank accounts until the 1960s. There is a right. a beautiful thing that a woman can still be married and have their own bank account, um, yeah, which does give you financial independence. So you're not just like kind of a piece of property that has to go along with whatever somebody says. You can have your own financial independence. And I think yeah. there is a lot of power in that as well. And yeah. that's, yeah, money, money and control over money is at a certain level. It's freedom basically and we're talking about relationships where we have a high degree of communication and trust and so at a certain level it doesn't really matter what like what it actually is um mm-hmm. right like right. exactly how it's organized because we're just communicating about what's getting spent and who's spending what and how and we don't stress over it you know like we know we're in it together and we figure it out it's just a piece of independence that i think both of us do are not willing to give up that we just have our own accounts you know in addition to right. having our shared accounts it's just such yeah. and it's a luxury it's such a luxury yeah a luxury i i, I just kind of wanted to say i agree with what you're saying about not having to worry about stuff and not arguing about it but also I can also understand where people in like really tight financial situations where that can be a much easier thing to fight about. Right. So I I don't want to, I don't want to dis disregard that. Right. Because we're coming at it from a perspective of, um, yeah, like we feel like we have some choice and options and like how we can, and a lot lot of people do not have those, uh, you know, same options. We can't assume that we speak for everybody, but I would say that for all of us, we just think that it's, I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks yeah yeah and i think that like in this situation like at least for me you know if i was in a different type of relationship that didn't have the foundational trust and like the healthiness of of our relationship i guess um if there's any question about um like those types of things like i'd want to maintain my own bank account right just for my own personal safety and you know like my ability to have agency over my future and not feel like trapped in a relationship or things like that. Uh, thanks for your question, Otters FTW. Um, those are our thoughts on it, but we definitely don't shame anyone who does have separate bank accounts. There seem to be many scenarios where that is a potential useful thing. Uh, thanks for the question, and we'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to the podcast. Our next question posted on Reddit by user DiligentCar4148. And the question is, why bother with credit cards? The saying goes that you shouldn't carry a balance from month to month. This implies that you should always be able to afford with cash what you are buying with credit. So why not just use the cash? To the same point, if people use credit cards to pay for major expenses, like say a new roof, they're obviously not paying that off in one month. So how is this actually supposed to stop you from going into major debt? Y'all, it's all about the credit score. You can't get a credit score without credit. And you can't yep. get credit without debt. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just, just, no. Yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah. Well, yeah, in a way. Yeah. But you got to pay, yeah. you got to make some payments on your debts. Mm-hmm. You can't you just do. have debt. 
<laughs> and the reason you need a credit score is because down the line, if you want to buy a house, they look at your credit score. If you want to buy a car, they look at your credit score. If you want to apply for a future loan, they'll look at your credit score. Um, so one of the best ways to get a credit score that's pretty high is to leverage your credit cards in the appropriate way. Yep. And the appropriate way is to pay off the statement balance every month so you don't pay any interest. Yep. And then you uh, reap all the points. I just see them as a tool to, like, um, you know, get perks from the credit card, like, whatever it may be. Like, um, for example, like, this is, a, I think, a perfect uh, scenario in, like, the way I think about credit and how to use credit cards. Um, like, I need to replace my computer. So I opened a new credit card um, to buy my computer, um, and it came with, you know, 18 months, 0% interest on the balance. Um, and also, you know, if I spend a certain amount of money in uh, a few months time, then I'll get a kickback of like an extra 200 bucks. So like, if I'm going to be buying something that I need anyways, if I can use a credit card to get, you know, 3% back on that purchase that I'm already going to make and already have the money for, um, why wouldn't I take that free money basically? So like in this scenario, I'm thinking of all these credit card perks as like essentially like free money that I'm getting back because I'm not going to be paying interest on the card. Um, and you know, I already have the money to buy it, but if I just paid cash, I wouldn't get any of those perks. And one caveat on that is you can't continually use that method because you right. don't want to be opening accounts continuously because that's bad for your credit. Totally. So you got to pick your spots where you want to do that. Exactly. But that is something yeah. you can apply from time to time. Um, when I was a kid, my mom actually opened up a bank account for all of us kids in my family, and she got us each a credit card. Um, I thought she was insane. I was like, why are you giving a seventh grader a credit card? Um, but I was so grateful she did because my credit was like superb going yeah. into college and beyond. Um because I had a credit card that I did have, we didn't really use it. We used it every now and again, and then we paid it off. But at least it shows that my longest um, line of credit is actually dates back to well before I even realized I needed a credit score, um, which yeah, is great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas in contrast, I never had a credit card until I was in my 20s because my parents taught me that credit cards are evil. And that you should never have them or use them or better said, if you're going to get one, you should only use it. You, sh you need to have the money to pay it off when you use it, um, which I kind of just thought, well, if I'm just going to have the money, then why don't I just use my money? Um, right. And then uh, I've been but I've been building up my credit now for several years playing this game. And um, I got to say, it's <laughs> been pretty it's been pretty entertaining. And uh, um, I've learned a lot about. I've learned a lot about credit and I've learned a lot about myself and made a lot of great friends along the way. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that take is common though, that people grow up like credit cards are evil and they can take you into massive debt and you shouldn't do it. And it, it is understandable in a way that people can run into massive debt with a credit card. So if you would like to follow the idea of you shouldn't um, spend more on your credit card, then you have to literally pay off that month or already in your hand to pay off. That's fine just do that. Like use the credit card with only money you have to pay off right then. That's a fine way to operate with a credit card. Yeah. But it will yeah. help you build credit 
as everyone's kind of pointed out here. Yeah, and I think that like the goal here is to be strategic with it. Like the way I always use credit cards is like I come at it with like what are they going to give me? And like what am I going to get out of this? Like I'm not just using credit cards for the convenience. I'm doing it specifically to get rewards. And that won't be the case when you first like if you're younger and you're getting uh-huh. your first credit cards, they won't be very good on rewards. But once you start getting really good credit, you'll just get flooded with people trying to give you the best credit cards. Also, I will say this is very U.S. specific for our credit scores. Uh, oh, true. yeah, yeah. It is not very nice for people that are moving um, from one country to the U.S. Um, they look at credit scores differently. For example, you want a zero credit score in India. If you move here and you have a zero credit score, that's not a really good sign. And so um, right. the credit systems work differently. And it, it does make it a lot difficult to a lot more difficult to be able to invest in homes or cars or things like that if you aren't represented in that country's way of financial mm-hmm. services. Um, yeah, and so in the U.S., we like to have higher numbers in our credit score, which is kind of weird. You need to kind of have credit to get a good score. Where in the opposite places, it's like you don't want any credit. You don't want any debt. If you have no debt, that's a good sign. So it's just different. Thanks for the question, Diligent Car 4148 Get yourself a credit card. Our last question this week, posted on Reddit by user Mysterious underscore Persons. And the question is, in what movie or series did you realize you supported the villain? And immediately for me, what I thought of is the Night King and the White Walkers. Because What? You supported yeah, that guy? I did. I did. By the end. By the last season. And it's not, not like a thing where, oh, the, the show got bad, so that's why. It wasn't that. I was just kind of... I was I was sick of everybody else. I'm like, you know what? Just let the Night King win. Uh, I was <laughs> I was Team Daenerys for a while. But then when they just decided she was, I don't know, she kind of lost me. And then I'm like, you know what? How cool would it be if the Night King just took all these guys out? I know. They kind of deserved it at yeah, that point. They, it was just yeah. like they were all such horrible people. That right. like it, Just a clean slate. Yep. Goodbye, Westeros. And the Night King was like perfect up until the point that he was killed. Right. Yeah. He fought like a perfect war. The only person <laughs> I liked, yeah, I guess like I, I love I, Ira. Aya? Aria. Yeah. Aria. 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 <laughs> she was my favorite character in that. Other ones for me, um, have you guys seen Skyfall, the James Bond movie? Mm-hmm. Um, the, Dan- the with Daniel evil, Craig. Yes, the the um, villain in there, Raul, he's like a, a former MI6 agent in the movie, and he feels betrayed and left for dead by MI6. So you can kind of see his story as to why he was in his position. Basically, he felt like they had basically left him for dead and then he didn't die. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of scenarios where a previous like team member is left to die, but they don't die. That's like a common villain that you kind of see their reasoning. Um, Any scene where someone is just trying to work, but they're being hassled by some teenage problem. And I feel like the perfect example of this is Squidward from SpongeBob. Because, <laughs> um, like, Squidward is the best character in SpongeBob. He's just being annoyed all day by SpongeBob and Patrick. 
<laughs> right. He's basically the relatable adult, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can definitely see that. Some uh, A character that I didn't realize I supported, that I didn't even, I supported so much, I didn't even realize that she was the villain, was Winifred Sanderson, the head witch played by Bette Midler from Hocus Pocus. She's the I, best taught my media and cultural studies class that she was the protagonist of that movie. I literally <laughs> taught them that. And several students spoke up and said, I don't think that the, she's the protagonist. I think she's the villain. And I said, no, I think that that's the character we're most supposed to relate to. I think that she's in the place of the protagonist. <laughs> and I completely forgot about the children because I hate children so much. <laughs> and so I just, I just thought, you know, uh, that was a person that I thought she would just had such charm that I've always, always been on her side. And I really didn't care what happened to the kids. Um, <laughs> also just obligatory Darth Vader, coolest villain of all time. You cannot be, you can't not be on his side until you realize that he's actually really sad and angry inside all the time. And he basically has a, his life is basically ruined and he destroyed it, but I'll be on his side. <laughs> um, along with that kind of like the stormtroopers. Or yes. the Sardaukar elite shock troopers from Dune, like right. forced soldiers, I feel like are a, a villain relatable? kind of, yeah, relatable. Like it's not, they, it's not their choice to be here. Like Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, but those guys are- is he a villain the, for? Well, he's not a villain, but- I guess I was just making the point that a force soldier. He's yeah. a he's a con he and the rest of them are all conscripts. So mm -hmm. when we watch them, we're like, oh, those guys they don't have they they don't got no choice and they don't know nothing about the world. <laughs> what would you do if I said my favorite villains were the crazy clown from It, Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, honestly, this is a really yeah, that, hard question for me. I I don't know. I mean, you got to add Gru from uh, Despicable Me. He's like pretends to be a villain, but then falls in love with the little kids and isn't really as villainous as he started out to be. So obviously you got to like him. But I just am really having a hard time coming up with the oh, villains Lori, that I like. Oh, Lori, Lori. Come on, Lori. Avatar The Last Airbender. We love Zuko. Oh, Zuko. Do we not? I did love Zuko. Zuko. You guys know Avatar The Last Airbender? No. I guess no. if we're getting to that territory, let's talk about Vegeta. <laughs> yeah. You Vegeta know? starts yeah, yeah. off, he starts off as a bad guy, but he kind of becomes a good guy, right? Yeah, and you know, he, he just wanted to be the rightful Prince of Saiyans. Yeah. Yeah, just like Zuko. <laughs> I like Zuko. Same hair, too. Um, I keep yeah. thinking about, like, Walter White, like, in the beginning oh, of seasons. Lori hates Walter White. I love but Walter White. I, I want to get a cat so, name him Walter White. But Walter <laughs> White is not... The he's villain. He's not the villain. He is. Well, he yeah, is. Right, he is. He but that's kind of a... Right. That's kind of a different thing where it's like you see a character turning into a villain. No, but like he is breaking the law, right? So he's like societally just base level. He is a villain. But like everybody's rooting for him. We're all like being like, yay, no, get that fuck Walter White. It's all about <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Jesse Pinkman. Uh, no. Jesse Pinkman. It's all about him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love I love Jesse. He's great. I would say for Walter White, he's not 
he doesn't start out as a villain, but he doesn't start out as really a likable character either. Yeah. He's kind right. of just a, he's just kind of a blob. And the weird thing is he's more likable when he becomes a villain, right? Yes. And I think that, that for me, that's what sealed the deal at the end of the series when he's talking mm-hmm. to Skylar and about the table and she says, tell me why you did it. And he's like, oh, I did it for my family. I did it for this, did it for that. And she's like, no more bullshit. And he finally says at the very end, I did it for me because I liked it and I felt alive. And that goes to show you that from Mm -hmm. day one, he has been doing it for himself and he has always been the villain. But that's to me what's so great about Breaking Bad is like he's he in his journey to me, he becomes sympathetic, but he's Mm -hmm. but he's the villain. He's a sympathetic villain. So I think kind of what we're getting to here, though, is that villains are complicated and what is a villain is complicated. And I think the more you get into um, stories that have like a depth of characters in them, like if they have a depth of character development and you have interesting characters there's always going to be some support to the villain because it's it's not telling a black and white story of like well, good yeah. and bad yeah those are the best villains right that you want um, right to be complicated i, I like think bad. so well i think like there's but i don't know man i think that i think that every story somewhere needs a, a, a villain that is irredeemable and is basically just the object of your hate and loathing Thanks for your question, Mysterious Persons. That's all the questions we have for this week. Um, If you'd like to see the questions we discussed on the show or share your best questions on Reddit with us, you can do that at our subreddit, r slash nostupidanswerspod. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at nosa underscore podcast. Uh, Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye, all massive baboons roaming Africa for like millions of years just like grabbing people and eating them. <laughs>